Hello, and welcome to the Philosophical Angle Podcast with your host, author Chris Angle. Hi, this is the Philosophical Angle Program, and I, your ho- I am your host, Chris Angle, and the author of four books on philosophy, one of which is The Philosophical Equations of Economics. These books are available free for viewing at thephilosophicalangle.com. If you'd like to contact us and make comment, inquire, or make suggestions, and feel free to give us an email at contact at thephilosophicalangle.com. Along with me is my, ca- uh, my colleague and co-host, Rick Samuelson. Rick graduated from Yale and has an MBA from Wharton and also from Tufts. Rick's an independent venture capitalist from the West Coast. Good to see you, Rick. And you. The purpose of the philosophical angle is to examine the nature of concepts being used in current media and secondarily use those definitions to understand the righteousness and ethical superiority of conservative positions. This week, we're going to discuss President uh, Trump made a speech um, in Tennessee on Memorial Day week. And I think, yeah, and uh, President Trump listed many of the accomplishments of the United States and his administration so far. Among these accomplishments, he said that the United States is more respected now than in previous administrations. Well, this is a pretty interesting subject. Perhaps we should uh, understand what is the nature of respect. How do we know that that a nation is treating us with more respect? What is the essence of respect? How does one know if he's receiving respect? And luckily you are tuned into the philosophical angle uh, for a full explanation. So um, let's get started. Well, the nature of respect is the degree to which something is important to somebody. That is, when somebody is very important to you, you give them great respect. So if you are important to somebody else, you'll receive a great amount of respect. So let's take an example. You respect your parents because they are very important to you and to your upbringing and for uh, bringing your bringing yourself into life, they uh, the parents respect you, and they respect you because you're going to carry on their genetic code into the future generations, and so you are important to them, as they are important to you, and thus you're respectful to them, and they're respectful to you. Now, conversely, or in the opposite direction, when you pass a beggar on the street, you don't give him much respect, do you? And you do that, you don't give him much respect because he's not important to you, he's not important to the world, uh, he, he doesn't produce much, so he's not important to anybody. So mo- not too many people give him much respect. They give him a little, but not much. And if So let's take this out and uh, extrapolate this into the political arena, if you are the same political party as the President of the United States, you give him great respect because he's important in extending out into the world the policies and ideology in which you believe. He is the instrument of extending your ideology into the world, which is important, and therefore you respect him. 
And the opposite is true, too. If you're not of the same party as the President of the United States, you would not consider him as important. Look at the Democrats. Look at the progressive utopian socialist Democrats. They hate Trump. Why? Because he's not extending out into the world the same ideology as these as these socialist Democrats purport. Thus, he's not important to the Democratic Party. In fact, he is even hated by it. And, uh, by the way, what is the nature of hate? Hate is when there is something you consider important in a negative way, but you can't do anything about it. So, anyway, let's get back to respect. So, the Democratic Party participants do not consider President Trump important in extending their ideals and their political ideas out into the world, out into the American society, and out internationally also. And thus, he's not respected by them. And that is an understatement, as we can see from the daily news, how much they berate him. So, in fact, he's the opposite of important to them. He is anti-important. President Trump is deconstructing their influence and their achievements, if you can call them achievements, over the last eight years uh, during the Obama administration. And so they give Trump no respect. In fact, they give him anti-respect. And an anti-respectful action has the manifestation in hateful behavior. So we respect others when we consider them important in our lives. And we consider somebody important when they're producing something that is good for our lives. In our example, the parents, they they produced the housing in which we live, our food, they gave us our education, they instilled in us their values, and we appreciate it all. And so we respect them because they they gave us our upbringing. And they respect us because we carry their genetics. Another example is that we respect the president of companies. I mean, should we ever come in contact with one? They are substantial people who are responsible for producing all the goods and services that their companies do. And these goods and services are good for people in general. And they're good for consumers by um, by the goods and services they present to the consumers. Because it brings goodness into the lives of the consumers. And that's why consumers buy their goods from these companies. They perceive that the product is good for their lives. But why would a country give another country respect? Well, the reason is the same. One country respects another because it seems that the other country is important in the total scheme of things. The other country may may be important because they are a trading partner. They may be important because they are our neighbor and we need to live in peace with our neighbor. So, now we know why we are respectful 
and we are respectful to, to those who are important to us and those to, who are important to us usually produce something that is to our benefit. They produce something that is good and, and good is that which brings us up away from misery. But what we don't know yet are the actual mechanics of respect. That is, we, we don't know yet what are the actual degrees of respect. Well, the way that we show others that we are important to us that is, by, is by the signs of cooperation. And these signs of cooperation can range anywhere from a smile, uh, which is an indication of non-aggression, or polite speech, a handshake, and so on and so forth. So, and they, and, 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 but all these indicate a will to cooperate. So now, to the ultimate question, which is where we began, where, which we brought forth at the beginning of this discussion, is, which is why would countries give America greater respect during this administration and during the, the, the Trump presidency? So is the United States receiving more respect from the international community now? Looking back at, uh, at the events over the last year, it would certainly seem so. There have been successful meetings in, in the Middle East, in France, and, and China, and Japan, and, and now even, possibly even in, uh, with North Korea. Each of these regions and countries have given signs of further and greater cooperation, which are, which are signs of respect. And why would that be? is because greater good will come to these countries if they do so. That is, these countries recognize that to cooperate with the United States will bring greater benefit and goodness to their countries. This greater goodness consists of opportunities in free trade, defense agreements, security, they realize this because they realize they are dealing with the, with the United States with a government that is willing and able to carry through on these opportunities of free trade, of, of defense and security. And as such, President Trump denotes this in his speech. So let's ask Rick whether he thinks the United States is progressing in the uh, in the world arena of respect. Rick, what do you think? Well, I think you get one narrative from, you know, the global press and, you know, leaders of the UN and the European Union who, you know, are dedicated to their status and think that, you know, some sort of kumbaya approach to world affairs uh, will lead to stability and and less war, not more. Um, you don't have to look too far to see uh, daily instances of that not being the case. Um, the prior administration pretended that it was not surrounded by two, at least two, major hostile powers in the form of Russia and China, 
Iran's hostile, but they don't have anything like the resources of China or Russia. Uh, and I think the big change, in this, one of the big changes in this administration is to call these uh, hostile actors out. Um, because if you don't oppose aggression, I mean, we've seen this so many times, uh, leading up to World War II, leading up to World War I. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's a lesson that continues to be learned many, many times. Um, the, the fact that uh, hostile actors, whether they're small ones like North Korea or Iran or large ones, um, are willing to at least uh, stall and their aggressive behavior and possibly even consider rolling it back is is the measure of respect. And there are no guarantees that you know an agreement with North Korea will last or that it'll be successful and so on and so forth. But the fact that they are willing to even discuss the subject is a major step forward. Similarly uh, the confrontation between China and the United States over the next 10 years, the military confrontation, uh, which of course has many other ramifications in trade and elsewhere, is going to be uh, extremely severe uh, because it's clear that in the absence of containment, China will be building bases. They're already at bases 500 miles offshore. All right. Uh, you know, within sight of other Southeast Asian countries. Uh, that is prima facie a hostile act. And they are preparing to put troops, you know, in addition to missiles, in addition to landing strips, uh, in addition to all kinds of monitoring equipment, uh, which we've done, uh, they're planning to put troops on these islands. So, uh, there's no there's no doubt that the sole purpose of this is to have control over one of the most important trade routes in the United in the in the world and to be able to control access to it. No one would do it for any other reason. If and so I think I think you may see uh, Trump forced into a position where he has to back say Taiwan very explicitly over China. It remains to be seen, but this is hardball. This is not EU, oh, let's all be happy together um, and have another meeting. This is These are hardball tactics with real bullets, which the EU does not have. So the EU, as I've said before, is, is irrelevant in world affairs. Right. So if you were president, what would you do for the China, for the China Sea? How would you get them Once to stand down? I'd keep sending the same message, and I would send patrols right through and amongst their islands um, and challenge them. If they want to attack the U.S. Navy, um, those are high stakes because those are, by international uh, agreement, uh, freely navigable waters. And what happens if they, they continue to build their little islands and fortify them with the military? I think there will come a time when they have to be opposed. Exactly. Directly. And it's coming. Not, not, it's not that far off. Right. Okay. Unfortunately, so many bases have been built 
uh, in, in such a far-flung fashion that you know we're coming from behind on this. It and never should have gotten this far, but uh, that's right. Know, they, they, they've captured the South China Sea in terms of uh, controlling it. Uh, you know, the next logical uh, objective would be um, the East Asian Sea. Let me ask you. Let me ask you about the upcoming meeting to South with uh, North Korea. And the, yeah, uh, the I think China's pulling the strings there entirely, and you know North Korea is a pawn in all of this, and so China's going to play it at its advantage. I think Trump is smart enough to know that China's pulling the strings, uh, and that the bigger game here is how uh, the United States and China achieve a stalemate. Right now, they don't have a stalemate. Right now, China is winning. Right? Make no mistake about that. China is winning. China is building the bases and expanding its influence. The United States is receding. And has been receding for many years, I might add. Should tre President Trump demand anything of North Korea in his upcoming summit? I think the end game has to be to denuclearize the uh, peninsula. And how about the gulag system that's uh, prevalent in the? It's really a, a, just a system of slavery. Can he can he demand its its uh, well, deconstruction? Well, China would have to agree, and China won't allow a buffer state like that to collapse into the control of South Korea or the United States or. So they will maintain that buffer state. You know, they might prop them up a bit more, give them a bit more food, some more oil, but uh, I can't see. China will demand something in return if the peninsula is denuclearized. So that's that's the essence of the, of the uh, negotiation here. Very they won't give that away for free. Very interesting. Exactly. They'll want something Extremely in return. Extremely hostile power. It is. And the United States has to come to recognize that. Rick, thanks for uh, joining us. Well, you might even see the, the, Phil the Philippines uh, resuscitate Subic Bay. or Clark Air Airfield's destroyed now, but you know, that was a $6 billion uh, naval station. It was the biggest one we had in the Pacific. That's right. I mean, it's unbelievable. We don't have any. Gave it away. Incredible. Right. Well, uh, thanks, Rick, for joining us, and thank everybody for uh, viewing uh, the this current episode of the Philosophical Angle. See you next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Philosophical Angle podcast. Be sure to subscribe and join us for the next installment.